So today, Doug will be preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So please open your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so for those of you who do not know Doug and Margaret, uh, Doug is uh, working right now with Commission to Every Nation. He's been very involved with Action International, uh, been directing there for a long time also. Um, and if you really don't know, he was in that video um, doing the zip line. And so that's, that's really uh, who he is. So please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll be reading from verses 1 through 9 and 13 through 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections may be made when I come. When I arrive, whoever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So it is my privilege now to welcome back our beloved friend, Doug Nichols, back to LHBC. Please join me in giving him a warm welcome. It's quite, <clears throat> this is really a nice uh, podium. It's too nice for me. It's for John MacArthur or Joe Lum, <laughs> Ted Way, Stephen Dewey. So uh, that's really nice. Now, if you could only get a real nice coffee pot for downstairs, <laughs> and let uh, and let some, you know, and uh, that would really be uh, beneficial. Margaret and I are glad to be back with you. Uh, we moved to South Carolina because we're missionaries. And we couldn't afford to live in Issaquah anymore. That's the truth. We were, uh, felt quite concerned that that little apartment condo that we had across the street was worth so much money. And we uh, have so, a, lot of, a lot of people staying with us, and we had no room. To tell you the truth, I was getting tired of sleeping on the floor. And so we, we moved to South Carolina, and believe it or not, we bought a house. Has a garage, dishwasher. Of course, I'm afraid of that dishwasher. I, I don't know about that. And uh, we have two guest rooms, so please come. However, I, I need to be careful about that. We put a welcome sign up, up by our front door, and I'm about ready to take it down. Now, we've already had 27 people from our church, small church of 70 people. We've already had 27 over the house to enjoy dinner with us. We took some of that money we had left over after we sold that house and that condo and bought a, a, a dining room table at Costco. That thing is about 38 feet long, you know. <laughs> and uh, we, we filled it with a lot of people. So please come and uh, uh, join us sometime. We're taking lessons. We're starting lessons next week. Speech lessons on how to talk Southern. And how to eat black-eyed peas and fried okra and fried green tomatoes. And, and, uh, but it's a, it's a different country. <laughs> it's like going to China or the Philippines or, <laughs> or Zambia. It's quite something. So uh, thank you for uh, those of you who helped us move. Uh, the church financially helped us move. And uh, thank you so much. This church has been... Uh, meant so much to Margaret and me over the years, and we, we esteem you highly in the Lord. You've been wonderful, wonderful friends. In October, we're having a conference for pastors from all over the Philippines and just outside of Manila, Philippines. Uh, pastors are very poor, and uh, they're very, many of them are uneducated. Uh, some of them have never been to Bible school or college. They don't have a, 
uh, study Bible, and we gather about 250 to 300 pastors every October for a, for a conference. And the speaker this year is James Barbalitos. Uh, his church uh, is uh, sponsoring the conference and, uh, and sending him over, and, and, uh, and uh, he'll be with us for a couple of weeks in the Philippines. He'll be with a lot of graduates from Master Seminary after our conference, and uh, you can pray for him and two other speakers that will be there as well. Margaret and I are celebrating. I'm an old man now, 76. I feel it. Margaret and I are celebrating 50 years of marriage this December. And we'd like all of you to come. <laughs> Before we left, uh, I was talking to some Margaret's friends downstairs several months ago, and I said, uh, you know, in December we're celebrating our 50th anniversary. I need some... I need some womanly advice on where to take her for a special meal. And I have it narrowed down to five restaurants. Wendy's, <laughs> McDonald's, Jack in the Box, <laughs> Chick-fil-A, and another one. And, and uh, several of the women thought, knew I was joking. But one of them said, you know, I think maybe Wendy's would be better. You know, <laughs> they, they have salad. Well, enough for that. Let's turn in our Bibles to, to the Word of God. Uh, my title of my message today is A Wide Door, Many Opportunities. You can also title it A Wide Door, Many Adversaries. Because isn't that the situation we're living in today? So much wickedness, adversaries, uh, which we, you and I, we say in the Philippines, Manampalataya, true believers, that you and I as true believers face every day. Uh, situations that you and I as uh, followers of the Lord Jesus need to confront. But sometimes we don't know how to do it. Because of fear, because of um, a lack of knowledge of the whole situation. Uh, not wanting to offend people. And, and yet this is the day we're living in. And Paul faced the same thing. Uh, he says in verse 8 of chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, he said, but I, I will remain in, uh, I, I want to come and visit you, but I, I need to remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Pentecost was the birthday of the church. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem to celebrate it with, with uh, the, those in, in, in Jerusalem. And then he comes to verse 9. He says, but I will remain in Ephesus for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. You know, that divides up into four very simple points. For a wide door has opened to me many opportunities but there are many adversaries. Let's look at point number one for a wide door. Not just a door, but a wide door. Some of you have the King James Version. It has a, it's a great door. There's a narrow door to glory, but a, a wide door of opportunities for ministry here and worldwide as we enter that door of salvation through Christ. But you have to go through the narrow door first. Have you entered that narrow door of Christ? Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Have you tried to go through another door? When Jesus said, I am the way, without the way there's no going. I am the truth. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, without the life, there's no living. And yet you are trying so desperately your own way to have satisfaction, joy, salvation, delivery from, delivery from sin. I understand the pastors are preaching on, re on repentance. Have you repented of your sin? 
You know, you, you, you can tell. Uh, you've trusted Christ, you say, years ago, has your life changed? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Young man, are you obedient to your mom and dad? Young lady, are you, uh, you say you trusted Christ when you're 13 or 14, and yet you, you just really love <clears throat> to dress immodestly? You argue with your parents all the time about this and that? Uh, young man, you, 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 you committed yourself when you stood at the altar to your wife to love her and cherish her. How do you treat her? How do you treat her? And young lady, how do you, how do you, how do, you do you show respect uh, to your wife, to your husband? Are, are you... Are you are you, is there an evidence in your life that you've been walking with Jesus, that you've trusted Christ as Savior? Is, is there? It's a good question. Have you repented of your sins and come to faith in him? Have you? You know, some of us are really an embarrassment to Christ. You know, we, we smell like the world. We act like the world. We watch the same music, the same movies. We listen to the same music. We go to a, we go to a Christian wedding, and it seems like it's just like any other wedding. You go to a party. There's no talking about the Lord Jesus. There's no fellowship in Christ. There's no enjoyment of of. Uh, of one another, we, we very seldom ever uh, talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really interesting, isn't it? We enter this door not carrying our good works, but by faith alone and God's grace alone. Jesus is the narrow door to salvation, which in this life opens up a wide door for service. Many opportunities which come from many needs. Do you have a passion for the world? As you've gone through this door, is your life become narrow in the sense of your world outreach or is it just on yourself and your family and whatever? You realize there's two billion people in the world today with no Christian neighbor near them to tell them of Christ. Two billion people. If you took one missionary... And you sent them to 5,000 of this 2 billion people. One missionary, and you divide them up every 5,000. How many missionaries would you need? 400,000 more missionaries. And we have the audacity. Some people have the audacity to say, the sending of missionaries is over. Is that true? When there's 200,000 children living on the streets of the Philippines... <laughs> and there's no need for missionaries? When you go to Zambia, a country of 10 million, and there's, there's 1 million, 10% of the population are orphans, and there's no need for missionaries? And you go to Florida, and you catch a plane, you go for a holiday down to Haiti, and, and there's, <laughs> there's over 400,000 child slaves in Haiti, and there's no need for missionaries? In my country, the Philippines, 105 million people and only 5% know Jesus. 95% of the whole country do not know salvation by faith through Christ alone. <laughs> There's no need for missionaries. So let me ask you, those of you who have sat in church all these years, you've gone to vacation Bible school and you had an excellent Bible class like we had this morning in 2 Corinthians with, with, with Sam. Uh, you, 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 you've, you've been in uh, home fellowships. You've just been Pastor Joe these many years. And, and haven't you once ever felt God stirring in your heart? God, would you possibly use me or one of my children? Oh, yeah, we want our kids to graduate with scientific degrees of the University of Washington. How many of you are praying that at least one of your children would heed the call of Christ on their life and go as a missionary to Uganda? Of Mozambique or to France, 
240,000 villages in France with not one Christian. Not one Christian. Hundreds of married couples and single women. You know, single women. You know, I'm a man. And I could go in the streets of Metro Manila. And I could approach a street child and they would go like this. Why? Because the men are the ones that usually abuse and, 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 and kick and, and, and beat. And, but a woman would attend, walk up to these children. And right away there's something about the... You know, being Finland, you know, the, the children, they've lost their mother. And here's a lady come up showing kindness and, and, and love to them. And they respond so easily to women. Where are the single women missionaries? We need to reach those around us and beyond us at the same time. Acts 1.8. Be a witness to me in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the world. And the world. Not, not exclusive. I do this first and then this and this and then the world. No, all inclusive. Not either are, but both and. Reaching those around us as well as beyond us. Number two, for a wide door. Number two, for effective service. Effective service, that which will count for eternity. The statement of fact, listen to this very clearly. Anything done for Christ and for his glory is effective. Did you hear that? Anything you do for Christ and his glory is effective. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Inasmuch as you knowing that your toil is never in vain in the Lord. Are you listening? Anything done for Christ is not in vain. In other words, it is effective. Little things like sending a child to camp in the Philippines for only $30 for five days where they go and they have food and love and care and a safe place to sleep and nobody abusing them sexually or physically and, and they hear the word of God and respond to Christ. $30. It's such a small thing. Margaret and I were in Zambia in an AIDS hospice and, and for an hour she she carried this little baby around who had been screaming and all of a sudden the little baby felt comfortable in, in Margaret's arm and for an hour and uh, was that effective? Yes, it was effective. That baby will never know Margaret's name. As she grows up, she'll probably never remember. But done in Christ's name is Effective. Some of you hear about these needy pastors in the Philippines with, with no Bibles and so forth, and you, 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 all of a sudden you hear that you can buy a Bible for $13, and, and that $13 will pay for that pastor to come to a, a one, half a day seminar and have refreshments, but have a, a half a day of learning how to study the Bible and preach from it and use the concordance and the dictionary and the study notes to preach and teach the Word of God. $13, such a small thing, but effective. For example, James one twenty seven, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our of God our Father is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. So as you do simple things like caring for a needy orphan or a widow, <laughs> little thing opens the door of opportunities to the glory of God. So don't be discouraged. When you think, well, how can God use me? Begin today with a little thing. God will take that little thing and multiply it for his glory. Have you heard of Shama? Mike, have you heard of Shama? <laughs> Shama was one of David's mighty men. Second Samuel 23, it says this, And the Philistines were gathered into a troop 
a troop, a, a, a battle formation of about 150 to 200 men. The Philistines had all these men. They were gathered into a troop where there was a, a plot of ground full of beans. And the people who lived in that area, the Jews, the, the, the Israelis, they fled because of the fear of this army, of the Philistines. But Shammah, this is really interesting, but Shammah took his stand in the midst of a plot of beans and defended it and struck the Philistines and the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, you know, this is really interesting. I would have thought, yeah, you know, parting of the Red Sea or taking a, you know, a, a, a stick and beating something, you know, big dynamic thing, but a plot of beans. Defending a plot of beans. But the difference was it was God's beans. It was God's territory. And Shema, this belonged to God. God has me here for a purpose to glorify his name. I'm going to defend these beans no matter what. And it said, God brought about a great victory. So you may think that your life or job or abilities or even your looks are worth beans. <laughs> but think again. Do you know God has put you and brought you a, at this time of history and put you exactly where you are to make a difference for him? To bring about a great victory. To bring a great victory for his glory. You know, simple, insignificant. But God will do a mighty work for his glory. Through the likes of you defending a plot of beans. You know, my life was, was very insignificant. I was raised in a very violent, poor family. Alcoholics, very moral lifestyle of my family. It was embarrassing. I was asked to leave school early. Uh, even when I was converted, I went to Bible school, and within two weeks, I was failing all my classes because I couldn't read or write, and and uh, they had to put me in a special tutoring class. And I applied to thirty different missions. Nobody would take me. Finally, I applied to a group called Operation Mobilization. In those days, they took anybody. I was supposed to go to France for two years, but I ended up in a truck and went to India. Got in the wrong truck. Went to India for two years. <laughs> and Indians taught me ministry. I was taught ministry by Indian. Came back and Margaret married me. And can you believe she married me? And Margaret and I wanted to go as missionaries to... to um, Japan, we thought God was calling us to Japan and <clears throat> applied to Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And they didn't want me, but they wanted Margaret. <laughs> so they had, they had to take me in the bargain. And uh, we wanted to go to Japan. And have you ever, by the way, have you ever made plans to serve God in a certain situation and everything fell apart? Has it ever happened to you? We were sure God was calling us to Japan. But the Japanese, bless those Japanese hearts. The Japanese leaders looked at my, <laughs> my said, don't send them here. He'll never learn Japanese. So the mission is going to send me to Korea. And the Koreans looked at, oh, don't send them here. He'll never learn Korean. <laughs> so the Filipinos looked and said, well, send him here. We know English better than he does. You know, God doesn't always put you where he wants you because of your abilities. But maybe because of your inabilities. You are where you are. But who put you there? <laughs> who put you there? God did. And God wants to use you in that plot of beans to bring a great victory for him. Jesus said, well done, faithful servant. 
you have been faithful in what? Little things. A few things. So anything done for Christ and His glory is effective. Uh, looking for ways to bless and encourage others. A little thing. Being gracious to the poor. Providing for and, and paying good wages if you are an employer. Making baby clothes for a little orphan in a baby home in the Philippines. And packing a box with your family, friends, and church with clothes and vitamins and medical supplies for the needy. Collecting food, funds to help poor churches rebuild or repair their severely damaged little buildings after a flood or a fire or a typhoon. You know, you could do that. Small, effective things like kindness. You know the description of God in the Old Testament? The most used description is the loving kindness of God. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to be like God? Aren't we supposed to emulate God? Godliness, God loving kindness of God. Why aren't some of you more kind? If it's a fruit of the Spirit, why aren't you practicing it? Kindness. You know, I asked my son Robbie, you've heard this illustration. I asked our son Robbie when he was when he started liking Deanna. I said, Hey Robbie, why do you like Deanna? That's his wife now. Why do you like Deanna so much? And he thought for a few moments and said, Well, Dad, Deanna is so much like the Lord Jesus. She's so much like Mom. And Deanna is so kind to everybody. So kind to everybody. Why aren't we more kind? Several years ago, Margaret and I went to the Philippines to serve for several months and when we arrived, we were staying in an apartment, and we drove over to a, to a grocery store, air-conditioned grocery store, and we went in to buy food for the apartment where we were staying, and drove in, and I walked in, and Margaret went over to the food section, and out in the kind of the big foyer there, they had all these little, little booths where people were selling different handmade items and different things, and so I was walking around, and Outside of a, a French bakery, can you believe this? A French bakery in Manila? A French bakery. Outside, there were some chairs and tables, and there were two Filipino policemen there dressed in all black. And, uh, but police in the Philippines don't have a good reputation. They're rough and mean. And they're sitting there with their machine guns, their armor lights, sitting there just looking at everybody. They're probably just supposed to be out on the street, but they're inside in the air conditioning. You know, nobody's going to confront them. They're sitting there. Well, I walked by, and I noticed they had SWAT. You know, they were SWAT members, SWAT. And that means they were really trained well. So when I walked by, and I just said, hey, how are you doing today? Why are you wearing all black? I mean, black outside, it's must be really hot in the heat. And, and they were laughing, and I was laughing. And I said, by the way, what does SWAT mean? Does it mean I SWAT you? <laughs> you SWAT me? And they were laughing, and we were just talking, and asking them about their family and so forth. And, and, uh, and then I walked away. As I walked by, walked around and so forth, I came back to the entrance of the French bakery. And the men were still sitting over there, the two policemen. So I walked in, and I said to the lady, I said, ma'am, I said, I would like two ensamadas. Ensamadas are a, a delicacy, a, a Spanish roll, special, expensive. I like two of them, and I like uh, two cups of coffee, brewed coffee. None of this instant stuff. I like two cups of brewed coffee, nice coffee. So she made the coffee for me. She says, why too? I said, well, I want you to take it to those policemen out there. She said, I'm not going to take it to those policemen. You don't understand our culture. You don't buy coffee for policemen here. 
And she didn't know I'd lived in the Philippines. She didn't know I, she thought I was just some tourist. I said, no, I want to buy. Why? I said, look, ma'am, I said, let's don't argue. I said, you know, I'm a customer. I'm buying. They're sitting at your table. Just take the coffee and it's amount to them. She said, well, okay, but I don't like this a bit. And I said, and by the way, don't tell them that who bought it for them. She said, well, okay. So she didn't like this at all. She went out and served them, came back. She said, they know it was you. <laughs> and I said, why? She said, they said, she, bowed, she, she dropped her head in shame. She said, they said a man came by and spoke to them kindly a few minutes ago. Now, I can, I can tell you that illustration because it's so simple. It made such an impact in these men's life that somebody had just spoken to them in a kind way. You know, kindness is not the gospel, but it opens the door for people to hear and respond to the gospel. I'm going through a devotional book, on, and uh, it had a note on Titus, and it had that section about the guidelines for deacons and elders, and one of the things is kindness. And it says, kindness, godly character, is not the gospel, but it adorns the gospel. The gospel's attractiveness is seen through the integrity and self-control and humility and patience and, and the consistency of godly character and kindness of his people. So let's practice kindness. We talk about a small, effective thing for Christ is to be kind. Opens the door for people to respond to the gospel. A wide door for effective service. Number three has opened to me. It's taking personal responsibility because you are a Christian and part of the family of God. You be faithful, you be generous. You let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. You reach out to others in the time of need. You go into all the world. Titus 2, 7 says, In all things, you show yourself to be an example. The previous motto of the United States Army was an army of one. In other words, the army is made up of individuals. Each soldier is vitally important to success, to victory. You may think you're worth beans, <laughs> but you're part of the family of God. And success of this church depends on each and every one of you. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it is sin. Proverbs 31, 89 says, You speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, you speak up and judge fairly. You defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So is it a sin to hear of our needy brothers and sisters around the world in such poverty and need and do nothing? Oh, we have so many responsibilities right here. We just had a vacation Bible school we have to pay for. We have to raise our pastor's salary. We have to put in a new, new whatever at our church. Yes, take care of those needs, but not at the expense of taking care of our responsibility around the world. But you don't understand, Mr. Nichols. We have so many needs here. Look at Seattle, Washington, a completely secular, you know, Seattle is crazy. We have so many needs. I mean, they're painting the sidewalks rainbow color. You know, you know to, to glorify homosexuals. We have so many people to reach here. The Bethel Church in Shanghai, China, in the 1930s, started the Bethel Evangelistic Band because they realized in Shanghai, needed the gospel just like they had the gospel. Pretty soon, these little teams of three were requested to go to other parts of China. So they went outside of Shanghai. 
Then the call came from Java, Indonesia, to send a team to work with the Chinese in Java. Some of the people in the church complained. Why send our people to other countries when there are so many needs right here in our country and we have so little money? Why do that? Why Java when we have so many needs? The answer came back. Because Jesus said to go into all the world with the gospel and Bethel is going to do what Jesus said to do. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do about those 41,000 pastors in the Philippines with no training? Many of them making less than $20 a month. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about the 3.2 million untrained pastors worldwide? The 150 million orphans. The 100 million street kids. The prisoners around the world. The, the, the child slaves around the world. What, what are we going to do? Are we going to do like Bethel? We're going to do what Jesus said to do. He said to go into all the world, and we're going to do that. My last point. The wide door for effective service is open to me. And there are many adversaries. And there are many adversaries. Verse 13 says of 1 Corinthians 16, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, be courageous. We're in a spiritual warfare. It's, it's a battle. They're, they're adversaries. We're living in a wicked world. It's time for us in the power of the Holy Spirit to, to, to be courageous. I talked to an evangelist recently, and she said, I'm never fearful. I said, well, man, <laughs> I'm fearful all the time. You are? I said, yes, there's over 400 fear knots in the Bible. They're all for me. They're all for me. Are they it has nothing to do with whether we're fearful or not. It's what we're going to do with the needs that are facing us every day. The world, the flesh, and the devil, and everything in between. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Philippians 1, 28 and 29 says, There's in no way alarmed by your opponents. Don't be afraid of your opponents. Don't be afraid. Now to you it's been granted for Christ's sake. All they can do is kill you. Now to you it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You know what that verse teaches? It teaches that salvation and suffering go hand in hand. So what about the many adversaries that we're faced with today? You know, make a list. And trust God to help you deal with that list. What about corruption in government? And everywhere. What about the street children? What about the, the slaves? 27 million slaves in the world today. 27 million slaves. You know, it's interesting. I'm studying the history of South Carolina. South Carolina is where the Civil War started. It was the first state that withdrew from the Union. And uh, it's where the Civil War started. I mean, they, they had slavery plantations everywhere and everything and so forth. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to study this history. And I've been studying the abolition movement all, for many years and slavery. Do you know, of all the slaves taken from Africa, what percentage came to the states? Less than 5%. Most of them went to the Caribbean and Brazil. It's an interesting little thing, you know, and yet we have, still have so much racism and prejudice. By the way, has racism, has it improved any <laughs> prejudice? You know, some of us are, are so prejudiced, aren't we? Why is that? If we're all one in Christ, why do our colors and shades of skin, uh, why does that make such a difference? Child prostitution. In my country, the Philippines, 15,000, they say, are child prostitutes under the age of nine. I'm sorry the children here to hear that. Nearly 25,000 children 
children die every day from malnutrition and disease that possibly some of us could have done something about. What about poverty and terrorism? And what about the sins of homosexuality and transgenderism and taking over our society? And you know what's so polluted about this is it's become a political issue. That shows you how far our country has gone down the tubes. I mean, it's pretty bad when you don't even know what bathroom to use. And that's our society. And from that abortion, you know, you just, you know I listened to a lady who had an abortion recently, and she's leading a, a, a pro-life movement now, and she, she said, you know, there's something that we even, there's something so degrading when we accept the killing for a woman to kill her own baby. But we don't address it because we don't want to hurt feelings instead of helping people be delivered through that. Wretchedness, it seems to have been released and we're right in the middle of it. Have you read Romans 1 recently? It seems that God has given us our society over. Over. You know, it's like a and everything's become political. Everything's political. You just can't deal with it because it's politics. You can't overpopulation, which is not true. You know, man-made pollution, which is not true. It's just a hoax. Uh, you, you, you talk about free speech, tolerance. <laughs> By the way, that's not true anymore. So what do you do in a situation like that? Share the gospel anyway. Be kind and share the gospel anyway. Socialism and communism and Islam and cohabitation before marriage. Are you sexually pure? Are you living a life that's pure before God? Are you trying to kind of justify your little sins on the side of, of sexual deviancy? An untruth of, uh, of evolution that our kids have to go through. Evolution is not true. It's certainly not science. And I even have theistic evolution now. You know, that God used evolution. <laughs> certainly not of God and certainly not science. And by the way, as you read Romans 1, evolution does not cause people to disbelieve God. People disbelieve God, so it's easy for them to believe evolution. Have you read Genesis 1 recently? And God spoke. <gasps> wow. That's our God. And God parted the Red Sea. And God caused the manna to come from heaven. That's our God. Do you believe that? So what are we to do? John 16, 33. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. All the adversaries of a, of a polluted society do we con to be confronted. How? Do we get a sword and draw it and go out and start hacking people? No. We confront our society with the compassion of God's people and the truth of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. The gospel. So share the gospel. <laughs> I was telling Sunday school this morning, in our church there's a, a family with nine kids. And uh, I was talking to the, we had a potluck two weeks ago, and I was talking to the couple, and I said, how did you get together? How, how did you, how did you meet? Well, man, they started sharing how they said, well, we were working at Home Depot, and uh, both of us were taking management, uh, learning, you know, be managers, training. And we were going through a divorce, each one of them going through a divorce with another person, and and uh, you know how divorced people are. We, we kind of leaned on one another going through that, that trauma. We kind of leaned on one another. So we got, when we divorced, later we got together, we married. And uh, they're living a, a lifestyle that many of you have lived before you came to faith in Christ. It said, said that they had a, uh, Scott told me, 
said, I said, how did you come to faith in Christ? And he said, well, he said, really interesting. He said, a black African-American janitor at Home Depot came to me at one lunchtime and said, excuse me, uh, excuse me, sir, but at lunchtime, I'm going to be reading my Bible. Would you like to come and read the Bible with me? <laughs> well, Scott, he didn't want to be, you know, show any racism or pre prejudice, you know, and he wanted to insult the guy. So he said, well, yes, <laughs> I'll come and read the Bible with you. And he read the Bible for the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Everyone that believes and he trusted Christ, reading the Bible. And he goes home and tells his wife that she got mad. <laughs> but a month later, she came to faith in Christ. See, that's how we, that's the power of the gospel. So let me ask you, are you, are you sharing the gospel with others? You, know, you don't have to be an evangelist. Margaret and I are not evangelists. But we're all supposed to be witnesses. Soldiers were surrounded by the enemy during the war, and one of the men yelled to his commanding officer, Sir, we're surrounded by the enemy. What do we do? And the captain yelled back, Don't let any of them escape. So we're surrounded by a wicked world. Let's don't let any of them escape. Remember, the Bible says, like a trampled spring in a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So confront the wicked with compassion and love and the gospel of Christ. I know this may seem like a hard message, almost impossible for some of us. But someone said, don't let the immensity of the task deter you but let it drive you to do something about it for the glory of God. Whatever that might be, don't let the immensity of the task deter you. <laughs> How can God possibly use the likes of me? But let it drive you to do something about it for the glory of God. For a wide door, for effective service, has opened to me, has opened to you. And there are many adversaries. Let me close. Years ago, uh, Joseph Estrada was a fam famous movie star. He was the mayor of San Juan Metro Manila. Manila is made up of 17 cities, and he was mayor of one of them. And he, with many, many others, ran in 1998 for the presidency of the Republic of the Philippines. I mean, there were so many running for president. They didn't have parties. They said all these people running for president. And Margaret and I, we arrived in the Philippines <clears throat> just right in the middle of all that excitement. I mean, it was, the place was just going crazy. So we arrived at the Manila International Airport. And if you've ever been to one of these, <laughs> it is terrible. You walk in and it seemed like there are 10,000 people going through the same line of immigration you're trying to. So we finally make it up to the, to the window of the immigration officer. And they're all upset and they're mad. They've worked in the heat and they don't like people and what are you coming to the country for? And they're just, they're not, the, they're not the socially correct people. It seemed like they're trying to keep you out. We walked up the window and the man looked at me and said, the big tall Americano said, and what's your purpose for coming to the Philippines? Man. So I didn't know what to say. I said, well, I think I'm coming to the Philippines because I'm going to run for the presidency of the Republic of the Philippines. I'm going to run for president. <laughs> Crazy. He shocked and he big smile broke out on his face and said, well, come on in. <laughs> we need all the help we can get. You know, I've thought about that often. That's what the world is saying. Maybe not verbally. Would you come over and help us? Would you help us today in this 
time of desperate need. So let's heed the call of our brothers and sisters around the world and, and assist them with compassion and help them share the gospel of Christ. And our prayer should be, I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but by God's grace I can do something. And that which I can do, I will do by the grace of God. I will trust him to use me. Glory for his name. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 1, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I labor, striving according to his power. See it? I labor, but according to his power. So God, I don't know, I don't understand this plot of beans. It seems so insignificant to me. But God, you called me here. And would you use me to bring about a great victory in Issaquah? and Seattle, and Washington, and the United States, and Zambia, and Malawi, and the Philippines, and Singapore, and China. Would you use the likes of me to bring about a great victory for you? I labor, but according to your power. Amen. Father, thank you for this short little verse, the testimony of the Apostle Paul to encourage us to follow his example in reaching people around us as well as beyond us, beyond us as well as around us with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.